The following podcast is brought to you by The Village Zendo. For more information, visit villagezendo.org. Well, good morning, everyone. It is uh, nice to sit in a full Zendo. One would begin to wonder, like on a cold day like today, what brings you all the way down to Tribeca and sit in an alley? <laughs> That's where I'm sitting right now. It's one of the great things about Zen practice, right? We sit in an alley, we sit in a crazy corporate building, we sit on the streets, and we even go to places where people are killing each other and we sit there. So uh, thank you very much. Good morning again. Uh, and thank you for joining online and in person this morning. Um, some of you are new here. I don't recognize your faces. My name is Mukay. Uh, I am a senior student here and also a novice and priest. I also co-chair our People of Color Sitting Group, um, which is part of the, the, the uh, Village Zendo community. And we will turn seven years old in April. And we're on an online community, because going from with folks from as far as Scotland to parts of the West Coast and in between. So uh, it's quite an honor to sit with the folks online. I realized as I was preparing my talk this morning that it was framed between the birth of Lincoln and the birth of Washington, birth of Washington, both presidents of the United States, one who freed slaves and the one who, and one who owned slaves. And also, the month of February has been designated Black History Month, a month where we remember Black men and women who have made a difference in the Black community. And I would like to also thank in these United States. There are, there are some known historical figures, and there are some not so known historical figures. So I'd like to take a moment to rem remember three of them. And not all of them sought the glamorous light. First of all, a man by the name of Alfred L. Bright. His story begins in 1951 in Youngstown, Ohio. He was a, a young black uh, boy who was part of a major league baseball team in Youngstown, Ohio. And Youngstown's uh, league was doing quite well and they were having a championship game. And on that day of the final championship, his mother's, his parents couldn't attend and so one of the coaches of the team took him to uh, the game. Now the team was integrated, by the way. So the team won, and the way they wanted to celebrate was to have a picnic and a pool party because it was quite hot in Youngstown. Now, if you know any of the history at that time in 1951, there was a topic about uh, purity versus impurity. Black folks were not allowed to swim in pools. And if you, they did swim, it usually was after 
night because it was a big deal about if a black person entered the pool, we had to disinfect the pool. So Youngstown's young men won the, the game and they decided to celebrate with a poolside party and a picnic. So they all went to the pool and as the team was marching in, they would say, wait a minute, he has to come out. So Al had to sit on the side of a fence near the pool. And his food had to be brought to him over the fence. And teachers and coaches and friends could only speak to him through the fence. And the teachers and, and the coaches argued and said, well, listen, this is a hot day. Well, the kids need a, ride, need a chance to, to dip in the pool. And the management kept pushing back. Well, finally they conceded. And so they decided that he could go in the pool, but he could only go on a raft. And so, uh, first of all, everyone had to get out of the pool. Secondly, he got into the pool onto a raft, and one of the uh, lifeguards took him around the pool and kept saying to him, don't touch the water, don't touch the water, don't touch the water. And touch the water. After his one circuit around the pool, he got out, went back to where he was staying, and everyone was quite shocked and upset. And the story goes that Al took his trophy and went home, and he was never the same since then. Now, spoiler alert, if any of you have, are going to see the movie Origin about the development of the, uh, the book Cass, which talks about uh, prejudice in the United States, directed by uh, uh, Avia, I'm forgetting her name right now, but um, does highlights this particular episode because um, we don't know what happened afterwards. Historically, we know that he thought about becoming a barber and he was convinced no, you have a talent. You need to go on. So he went on to get a Bachelor's of Science degree uh, from Youngstown University. And he graduated in 1964. He then went on for a Master's in Kent State. And he came back to Youngstown and he was hired as the first Black African-American teacher and he taught a number of students. And one of his students was a man by the name of Louis Zona, the executive director of the Bolter, Bol, Butler Institute of American Art, and one of, the, one of his greatest students, who tells us that over the 40 years, Wright had inspired a number of his students. And he quotes, the reason why I always wear I think I wear a bow tie because I think of Al Bright. He had his share of prejudice shown against him. Some pretty bad experiences of his life growing up. He told me the reason he wears a tie because it is a sort of, it's sort of a place he places him on the same level of the people who were critical of him. 
When I'm trying to tie my, my tie in the morning, I think of Albright showing me how to make a Windsor knot. I believe Bright would want to be remembered as an artist and a teacher who cared deeply about his students and the direction of their lives. Edward Joseph Dwight Jr. Head. He was born in the South, quite bright, and at the age of four, he built an airplane out of orange crates in his backyard. As a child, he was an avid reader and a talented artist who was mechanically gifted and enjoyed working with his hands. While delivering papers, he saw an Air Force pilot by the name of Dayton Raglan, a black man from Kansas City, and on the front page of the newspaper, having grown up in racial segregation, he instantly was thrown, became wigged out, quote, becoming inspired to follow the career of a, of a man who was thinking, that's insane, I didn't even know to let black pilots get anywhere near airplanes. Where did he get trained? How did he get into the military? And how did this stuff happen right before my nose? This led Dwight to enter the Air Force, go to college, go on further to become a tested airplane pilot. And then 1957, the Russians were experimenting with space travel and Americans got on board. And those of us who are old enough in this room know the uh, Mercury flights, which most of the astronauts were white. Fast forward 1963, a little before 1963, President John F. Kennedy was president of the United States. And the National Urban League approached President Kennedy and said, wouldn't it be nice if you had a black man become an astronaut? So Kennedy said, sure. So it was announced that in the black magazines, by the way, <clears throat> that Dwight was going to become an astronaut. He received a lot of letters of congratulations, but Kennedy was assassinated. And quickly, Dwight was being swept away to Germany. He had the guts to call uh, Robert Kennedy, his brother, who was able to get him transferred from Germany to someplace in Ohio. He said his experience as an astronaut was horrible. He was given a cold shoulder. One of the chief uh, uh, officials of the space uh, uh, agency at the time said that Washington was trying to push this end down our throats. He eventually retired and left and went on to get a master's and became a sculptor. Many years later, 
The first black man to walk in space by the name of Bernard Harris contemplated what a difference it might have made if Dwight had become an astronaut, an astronaut during the 60s. He says, space really allows us to realize the hope that, Vic, that the hope that lies within all of us as human beings. To see a black man in space during that period of time would have changed things. As I said, he went on to become a sculptor and a lot of his work has been recognized in different parts of the United States. NASA even had some of his sculptures sent up to space and travel. So, um, but he was asked later on, right, were you bitter about your experience? And he said, God, no. He said, here you get a little four foot guy who flies airplanes, and the next thing you know, the sky's in the White House, meeting all these senators and congressmen standing in front of these captains of industry and have them all pat me on the back and shake my hand. Dwight says, are you kidding me? What would I, why, why should I be bitter about? They open the whole world. Later in August of 2020, he became um, uh, inducted into the uh, National Air Force, NASA, and is considered a pioneer in space travel. And he said at one of the events, he said, I'd advise everyone to go through what I went through. And then they'd have a different view of this country and how sacred it is. We're all on this little ball flying around the galaxy. Third one is a little more familiar to some of us in this room. Her name was Grace Dell Nichols. Grew up in Chicago. She didn't like her name Grace Dell. So her parents changed it to Nielsey, which means victorious uh, maiden. Nielsey Nichols became Lieutenant Uhura of the Star Trek episodes. And she was the first black woman featured in a major television series. The prominent role of a bridge officer. The story goes that when Whoopi Goldberg saw her, she ran and told her mother, listen, Ma, they got a black woman on TV and she ain't no maid. <laughs> but she also had a lot of talent. She was a singer, she was a performer, dancer, and she sang with uh, Lionel Hampton and group and, um, and a few others. And she thought about leaving the series. And she contemplated it and she spoke with Gene Roddenberry, who was the uh, producer at the time. And he said he didn't want her to do it, but he says, I want you to think about it. And then if that's something you want to do, let me know. But he didn't want her to leave. So she was invited to an NAACP event, and a person came to her and said to her, you know, there's someone who wants to meet you. He's your greatest fan. So she says, okay, I'll go. I'll go and speak to this Trekkie. And Martin Luther King, um, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. happened to have been at the event. And so, you know, he was standing there grinning at her. And she says, well, I guess the Trekkie will have to wait because Dr. King is right there and I'm going to go and say hello to him. So as she's making her way 
towards Dr. King, he's coming towards her with a big friend. And he says, uh, he says, you know, Miss Nickel, I am your greatest fan. The Star Trek role was the only show that he and my, my wife and my kids are allowed to stay up and watch. She had mentioned to Dr. King that she had planned to leave the series because she wanted a role that was tied to Broadway, because I never told him why. But he said, we can't, we cannot. Well, the first time on television, we'll be seen as we should be seen as professors, lawyers. If you leave, that door can be closed because your role is not a black role and it is not a female role. That role can be filled in by anybody, even an alien. I'd like to delve into a bit of a koan that I'd like to explore this morning. It's from the Blue Cliff Record, Case 46. Ching ing sound of raindrops. Chi ing asked the monk, What sound is that outside the gate? The monk said, The sound of raindrops. Chi ing said, Sentient beings are inverted. They lose themselves and follow after things. The monk says, said, What about you, teacher? Ching said, I, I almost don't lose myself, the monk said. What is the meaning of I almost don't lose myself? James said, though it is still very easy to express oneself, to say the whole thing can be difficult. A chaplain friend of mine was talking about a gathering she had of interreligious folks, talking about what was happening in Palestine. And it was a quiet meeting, and it was all council stuff. So if those of you who are, are not familiar with council, it's quiet. You, and when you share, you speak from the heart. There's no crosstalk. And the only time you can ask a question is if you want additional information. So one of the people, the participants, shared a poem about what's happening in Israel and in Gaza. And someone spoke and said, you know what? That sounds like the writings of Hitler. I was thinking about this and I thought about Dante's Inferno, where one of the many circles is what's called the uh, opportunists, about the spirits who chase after a uh, white flag. They go from one end to the other chasing this white flag. And the idea is, is that the opportunists are not committed to anything at all. They're just signing on because that'll make them look good. And I think sometimes we feel that things can be said. And whatever you say, even in this practice, let the chips fall where they may. And I don't believe that's what this practice is about. I believe this practice is about helping us to see what is it that gets in the way that prevents us from loving one another. What is it that prevents us from seeing that we are kin? 
All of us are familiar with Martin Luther King's Jr.'s uh, I Have a Dream speech, in which he says, when we let freedom ring, we let it ring from every tenement and every hamlet, from every state, every city. We will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, I quote, whatever skin color or faith tradition, will enable us to enjoy, join, join hands and sing in the words of that old spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. So I ask us this morning, are we still holding hands? Problems and atrocities impact us all. Are we still holding hands? Maybe perhaps what we should all be doing is locking arms so that when one person is attacked, we all feel the impact and then we stand up. One of the things that um, when I was thinking about this talk, it was a song that kept coming to mind. And again, I make reference to those online that if there are a number of people maybe my age and even a little bit older uh, in this room uh, that kept coming to mind. It was, and it was haunting me. It was a, group, a song by a group called the Buffalo Springfield. Someone's nodding. Uh, and it was the title of the song, What It's Worth. And it was a song that was written to address the riots in LA, but then it went on to become a song that dealt with the uh, Vietnam War. And the words I feel to this song still apply to this day. And um, I'll share a couple of the words with you. There's something happening here. What it is ain't exactly clear. There's a man with a gun over there telling me I've got to beware. Verse, I think it's time we stop, children. What's that sound? Everybody look what's going down. There's a battle line being drawn. Nobody's right if everybody's wrong. Young children speaking their minds, getting so much resistance from behind. I think it's time we stop. Stop, children. What's that sound? Everybody look what's going down. How appropriate for today. What is the sound that you hear outside your gates? The people that I shared with you this morning, and there are many more, heard a sound and in their own unique way responded. And I would say they lived to their fullest self. They didn't compromise. They didn't compromise. 
But I do and I hope that this practice calls us not to compromise, but to live fully and to hear the sounds that are outside our gates. Thank you.